Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins. I'm excited to bring you another great conversation this week on how to lead transformational change in your school. If you listened to the last episode with Dwight Carter, uh, this really kind of connects the dots as we talked about Mark White, who was uh, Dwight Carter's former superintendent in the state of Ohio. Mark is an educational consultant now and an author. He has a new book out titled Five Gen Leadership, Leading Five Generations in Schools in the 2020s. And I just think it's an absolute masterpiece. I always have had a fascination with uh, the digital divide all the way back to Mark Prinsky talking about digital natives, digital immigrants. And so for the first time in history, we now have five generations working together under one roof in the schoolhouse with baby boomers, Generation X, the millennials, Gen Z, and Gen Alpha. So this is a fun conversation, and uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation this week as we talk about leading schools as we plan ahead to what the next 10 years are going to look like in 2030. So sit back and enjoy this episode. As always, I want to give a big shout out to my official sponsor here of the Reimagine Schools podcast, Rocket PD. You want to check them out at rocketpd.com. Great guys over there doing wonderful work, and they provide some wonderful opportunities for you to bring PD into your school districts. If you're on the web looking around, I hope you can also jump over to my new website at reimaginedschoolsnow.com, where you can find information about my new executive coaching program that will launch in 2023. So if you have an interest in trying to reimagine your own school district, uh, my goal is to start a Reimagine Schools Mastermind group at the beginning of the new year. So contact me and I'll send you the link to sign up or answer any questions you may have about the new Mastermind program. So with that, folks, let's get to it. My conversation with Mark White begins right after this quick promo from the Education Podcast Network. I'm Mike Brilla, host of the Inspired Teacher Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. So we are back in the saddle once again with another great episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. My guest today is a former school superintendent in the great state of Ohio. He's now an educational consultant, speaker, and author. His most recent book is Five Gen Leadership, Leading Five Generations in Schools in the 2020s. A big welcome to Mark White. How are you, Mark? Hey, Greg. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here with you today. Well, I'm delighted to spend some time with you. I love any conversation on how to reimagine schools. And this is a big one, folks. Whenever we talk about having five different generations underneath the same roof in the schoolhouse, I can't wait to dive in. But before we get there, we have a mutual friend in Dwight Carter, who I've had on the podcast several times. Big fan of Dwight's work. I know you had a chance to work with him uh, in that Ohio school district. Let's just kind of talk about... Um, I guess the genesis of the book, I, obviously this is something you have a lot of experience dealing with. You and Dwight actually have written some books about uh, creating different space for Gen Z students. And maybe we'll dive into that if we have time, but where did this idea come from that we have this five generational landscape in our schools? Well, as I was moving around the country, working with all of these educators, I was just picking up on something was different. And I've been on the road now for about five or six years 
I'm on the road about 150 to 160 nights a year. And so I've gotten a good cross-sectional view of what's going on in American education. So I was just picking up on something different in the younger teachers and the more senior teachers. Uh, I say people like me, the boomers, the more senior teachers, not the older teachers, okay? But anyway, I was leading this workshop one day and I was talking a lot about teaching Gen Z and Gen Alpha. And a lot of people don't understand that we have Gen Alphas in the elementary schools. Those are kids born since 2010. So I was doing a generational exercise where I broke the group, the large group of 40 teachers into groups by their generation. Baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z. And a lot of people don't understand we have Gen Zers in the teaching staff now. And so we were talking about how we grew up, the technology that shaped us. And so at the end, I'm talking with these young Gen Z teachers, three of them, and I put them on the spot. I said, okay, so if you could talk to me, tell a, a trainer like me, someone who leads PD, something that you wish that we would do, what would you say? And one of them finally said, well, I wish sometimes they just tell us what to do and leave us alone. And that was an epiphany for me. And I joke, it was like she plunged a Gen Z knife into my baby boomer heart, okay? Who wanted to control and lead everything. These Gen Zers, these young teachers, these kids, they are the leave us alone, let us go figure it out generation. The older generations like me, we wanted the directions. We opened up the box and read the directions. These kids today don't read directions. They get an app, they get a phone, they get a, any new device. They just go figure it out. And that's the way they sometimes approach teaching. So we have to find a way to guide them at the same time, giving them space to go explore on their own. Yeah. And, you know, I come from a family of educators from, from Illinois. And uh, so my my mom and dad were both educators. My father is actually a retired superintendent. So I actually followed in his footsteps. Obviously, they're baby boomers. They're in their mid, mid to upper 70s. Mm -hmm. I'm a Gen Xer. I was a teacher, principal, superintendent. We now have a niece. My brother's daughter is a third year elementary school teacher. So we're a couple of days away from Thanksgiving. I guarantee you we're going to have some very interesting conversations around the dinner table about what the purpose of school is uh, mm -hmm. for and, and kind of what teaching and learning looks like in the classroom. I've heard you kind of describe this as just gen educational generational gaps. And, right. and we have different kind of a different core belief system. And so I, I assume you have a lot of those conversations when you're out talking with folks as well. Yes, I do. You know, um, if you look at from the boomers down for the Xers, millennials and Gen Zers, we all come at a little bit differently. You know, the boomers raised by the silent generation, we go into the schools, we accept the mission. We will work the long hours. We won't complain as much. We just go do it. Uh, sometimes as boomers, we're less likely to want to use technology. We will if we see a need for it. Uh, the Xers came in, they got into a little bit more technology. Uh, they were a little bit less likely just to accept the status quo than the boomers because they saw what's going on with the boomers. They were raised by some of the boomer parents. Um, and then we got to the millennials. The millennials were the first ones to be raised uh, through the internet age. And so there's a huge generation gap between the boomers and Xers who were raised without the internet and the millennials and Gen Zers who are raised with it. And because these millennials and Gen Zers have been adjusting their entire lives, they come in ready to adjust. Whereas the boomers especially, and then some of the older Xers have to be persuaded, you have to change the way you're doing things. And what I notice about the young teachers is, they tend to be, of course, at using technology more rapidly. They just, it's just a part of their lives. They make it part of their teaching. They also tend to be more collaborative with the students. 
the boomers and the Xers tend to want to get the kids to fall in line. I am the boss. You're going to do it this way. These kids don't buy into that as much anymore. You have to really coach them. That's the way they're being raised. And these teachers are also showing that. The younger teachers involve the students more in some of the rules they're making uh, and some of the deadlines and how they're doing the assignments. It's just a different look, different feel. And that's what we got to be looking at as we help them teach and as we train them. Yeah. And, you know, the example that I just gave you about about my family experience, um, you know, my dad as a school superintendent basically used pencil and paper to do things like his school district budget. <laughs> and when, when I worked in the school superintendent's position, obviously I was using technology, but I still read a newspaper. I still like getting the black ink on my hands. And I always kind of looked at technology as a productivity tool. You know, I'm going to write somebody a letter or I'm going to use an Excel spreadsheet or I'm going to do something work related. And my niece, who, again, is a, a third year elementary school teacher, she sees technology as something completely different. It's a communications tool. That's where she gets her news. I don't know if she's ever read an actual newspaper. And, you know, she sees it as this collaborative tool with social media and all these type of things. And so just a simple difference in how we view uh, digital tools is also very profound. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, and I want to stress this, too. Just because we're of a certain generation doesn't mean we always have those characteristics. You know, I've got a lot of boomer in me. Uh, I am I have become in the last six or seven years very digital. I don't read the paper newspapers anymore. Everything I read is online. I don't write notes. I had to write a check the other day. And I had not written like that in a long time. And so I have adjust, adjusted to some of those. But, you know, we can change. The, the more mature teachers can change. I give this example in the book. During COVID, uh, the Starbucks opened up near my place where I live in Florida. Okay. And so I wanted to go get coffee. So I would get out of my truck, go in, get in line, joking, I'm a boomer, got to see who's making my coffee, got to see my barista mano a mano, you know. So I would go in and order. And I noticed all these people coming in and getting their online orders. And I thought, why am I standing here in a COVID atmosphere in line when I could just use my app to order my coffee online, come pick it up and get out? So I saw a purpose. I started using the app. And now I start doing that in just about all of my food orders. Same thing with boomers going into Facebook. They got into Facebook because they could keep track of their friends they went to high school with and college with, and they could keep track of putting, putting pictures of their grandkids online in Facebook. They saw a need, they did it. There are some people who say that boomers are some of the most flexible people ever because they've had to live through all these changes. So it depends upon your mindset. And talking about mindset, I do this Mentimeter digital tool in my keynotes. And I say, okay, here are the characteristics of all the generations. Now, how many of those characteristics do you think fit you? About what percentage on a scale of one to five? The average is around four. In other words, we tend to fit those characteristics, but there is that wild card 20% range where we're going to be like some other generation or something like that. So these generational stereotypes do fit pretty consistently. So yeah. we have to keep that in mind as we're looking at our staffs and as we're looking at teaching Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm so glad you brought that up. I probably first got interested in this idea of different generations in the schoolhouse when Mark Prinsky 
back mm-hmm. in 2001, you know, coined the term digital native and digital immigrants. And I'm certainly a digital immigrant. I remember the first time I ever got on the internet as a first year high school English teacher. And it was a big <laughs> event. I mean, we had Me too. staff, we had the staff gathered around the one computer in the library and it was a big deal. But over the years I've adapted, I've taught myself how to use various tools. I feel like I'm very proficient now uh, in, in using technology. So I think that's a great point. But going back to Prinsky, um, you know, you think about uh, when technology first really burst on the scene in, in public education, there was this huge disconnect for a long time between the teachers who were the digital immigrants and the digital natives that were students looking back at you. And I think that that was kind of like the lost age of trying to figure out what, what we're supposed to do with all these tools. And kids, quite frankly, were bored to death waiting for us to catch up. You're entirely right. Uh, one of the good things, if there is anything good about COVID, is when it forced everybody online, it forced a lot of the people who were not into it to at least become more competent in using technology and using different digital tools. Uh, and part of the complicating factor here is that while we have the Gen Z and Gen Alpha students who are, whose technology is just a natural part of their life, they also need that human interaction. They want that face-to-face coaching. The, the, the balance, the art of teaching today is technology is not for everything. It's not for every minute, but it's working it in at the right time and the right amount for the right purpose. And that's what the great teachers do, regardless of the generation. And I've seen all generations who can do it, but I've seen that the younger generations tend to do it more frequently because they don't put up as, of, of teachers because they don't put up as much resistance. Yeah. And, you know, I would assume that if you have a school with all five generations represented, that those different generations would kind of flock toward one another. So kind of take me through what does a lineup look like in a school? I would assume the baby boomers, you know, maybe school board members, they could be superintendents, uh, maybe Gen Xers or school leader leadership positions. Kind of walk me through the roles that the different gens are playing right now. That's a great question. Uh, I did a a keynote for uh, the Ohio Association of Secondary School Principals a while back in November uh, in their, uh, yeah, earlier, that was in October, earlier in October. And I said, okay, I had them raise their hands by generation. I said, boomers, raise your hand. And there were about 250 people in the room and two hands went up. And so I think that the boomers have been sort of retiring, getting out. Uh, Some are still hanging around. So they're going to be in the upper echelons for the most part. You still have some boomer teachers out there, uh, but they are at the point to where they can retire now. And the ones who are still here, they're still doing it because they want to do it. So now you have more Gen Xers who are superintendents, Gen Xers in leadership positions throughout the district. Probably more of them leading than other groups. And so some of them are getting to the point to where they can retire. But I also get that 10,000 yard stare when I talk to the uh, the Gen X teachers, the Gen X administrators. And I say, okay, so when can you retire? And they can count down to the number of days and hours almost until they can get their pension because of all the changes that have come at them, the post-COVID stuff and everything like that, they're having to adapt. They can see the end, they're tired, they want to get there. So you've got them leading a lot of the schools, but the biggest group of teachers in our American workforce is the millennials. And the millennials are the biggest part of the American workforce period. And so you have more more millennials than anything than the Gen Zers are those under the age of 26 or 27 or so. So they are coming in. And a point I make about the book is 
we're in this turbulent era in the 2020s. And that's why I call it leadership in the 2020s, because we still have the boomers and Xers. Remember, remember I said grew up without the Internet, still leading a lot of our, our campuses and our districts. But as they retire in this decade, we're going to see more millennials go into the district offices, go into more school leadership positions, more Gen Zers by the 20, by 2030, some of them will become assistant principals. And so we could have schools being led by millennials and Gen Zers, school districts being led by millennials. And so these digital natives are going to bring a mindset, I think, that is more flexible than what we've seen in the past, which is what we're going to see, have to have, to have because what's happening with hyper change, if you look at Moore's law, if you look at the doubling of knowledge, as, as uh, uh, talked about by Buckminster Fuller, I mean, things are speeding up. We're in a rapid change, rapid accelerated world. Uh, as a matter of fact, the person, Mark McCrindle, who made the, made the name Gen Alpha, this New Zealand researcher, demographer, he said that we are now in an age that has not been as significant in terms of change since the days of the Gutenberg Bible. That's how significant this is right now of what's happening with technology. So we're we are gonna need maximum flexibility mindsets to lead us forward into the 2030s. We can only imagine the 2030s, the 2040s, but it's gonna be radically different. And here's a question I ask people. I say, okay, I often start with this question. Think about the students you teach, or maybe the students you have at home you're raising yourself. How old will they be in 50 years in 2072? And they think about it for a while. They say, okay, they could be 55. They could be 65 or something like that. I said, yeah, they're going to be in prime ages of, of working. Now, what's the world going to be like in 2072? We cannot even predict that. But what we do know is it's going to be very radically different from what we have now, and it's going to be digitally based. That means they have to have the thinking capacity, the flexibility to deal with constant change throughout their entire lives. And that's something like people like me, the boomers, we live through the rapid change. You know, you talk about your father, who is a superintendent. So he had a lot of the same practices in place from the time he began his career, probably until he ended in terms of how people taught, how schools were run, some of the same issues. Yeah, there were always new issues popping up. You know, he probably led through integration, led through maybe the Vietnam War, talked through that. There, there have been disruptions, but not to the rapid scale we're having now. And so that's why we, we talk about rigor, we talk about engagement technology, all that coming together, get them ready for the future. Hey guys, Dr. Greg Goins here, and I hope you're enjoying this week's episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. We'll get right back to the conversation after this quick shout out from our sponsor, Rocket PD. There's one thing we can all agree on. The days of sit and get PD are over. That's why my friends at Rocket PD have assembled the best experts on the planet on the hottest topics on education with a mission to create the world's largest community of educators committed to helping teachers and staff succeed. So prepare for launch by going to rocketpd.com where you can connect your team with the most inspiring educators on the topics that matter. It's professional learning fueled by passion. Visit rocketpd.com to join the Rocket PD community and download your free 
ultimate guide to K-12 PD. So join Rocket PD today and get the help and support that you've been searching for. And, and you know, we talk about disruption. That's another great book you have out, Leading uh, Schools During, uh, what's the name of it? Disruptive. Leading Schools, now Dwight and I uh, lead, wrote Leading Schools in Disruptive Times. Yeah, yeah, that's another great book that you want to check Thank out. You. So, uh, you know, thinking about, Again, going back to my experience as a superintendent, even a principal for the first couple of years, the greatest frustration I had, and I think you can relate to this, is just perceptions about the use of technology and the purpose of it in the school. I had a chance to give a, a presentation. Oh, gosh, this has been 10 years ago now in downtown Chicago, right on Michigan Avenue, fancy hotel, had a large crowd. And my topic was something to do with technology at the time, uh, technology integration. And, and I had a slide up that said um, the average school district spends $400 annually per student on technology. And so I think I used like 2,500 students. Do the math on that. How much money are you spending each year on technology? That's a million dollars if you have 2,500 students. And, you know, I got a few oohs and ahs in the crowd. And then I lost everybody when I said I think the biggest mistake that school districts make today or, you know, whatever that was, was you're banning cell phones and personal devices at the front door of the schoolhouse. You have to stop doing that. And Mark, you could have heard a pin drop. They looked at me <laughs> like I was an alien. But we still have schools that ban devices, and we're spending all this money on one-to-one -one devices. And I, I hope at some point, the, the comparison I make, this is like Elvis Presley shocked the world when he was gyrating and you could, could only show him from the waist up on the Ed Sullivan show. I hope at some point we laugh about banning, banning cell phones in schools. You know, I think you're right. We are to the point where I would challenge any adult to put the phone away for that long. It's, it's almost impossible because we are addicted to these things. And here, here's what I stress, too. We have to really work with our students to get them understand why we don't want them getting the phones out in class and getting off task. We can use them for our educational purposes. We don't have to make this disruption out there for them. But we have to understand these kids today. And, and the phones are a prime example. It used to be when I was growing up as a boomer, my parents really did not give me as many choices as, as the kids have today in the way they're being raised and studies are showing this. 71%, uh, I believe, of American parents involve their kids in major decisions involving the family. What kind of car do you like? What color do you like? Which house do you like? Which bedroom do you want? Where do you go on vacation? Where do you want to go on vacation? So when they come into our schools, they're used to being part of the decision making. So if we tell them something as radical as put your phone away, don't you dare get it out, and you do what I tell you to do, they don't hear that very well. They don't receive that as well as my generation would have with parents who would say, get in the car, we're going on vacation. We'll tell you when we get there where we are. We're having this for dinner. If you don't like it, tough luck. You don't get to eat. I mean, really, I was told that at times. Not, nothing is my parents. Nothing is today's parents. It's just different. But we have to really coach the kids. We talk about the need for relationships. Same thing with our young teachers. Same thing with our students. It's about relationships, coaching, and persuading them. It's you have to be less of a manager, a lot more of a coach these days. And, and you know, I was always, even at a early on, I was a huge advocate for BYOD, bring your own device. You mm -hmm. know, kids are familiar with their with their device and let them bring it in. As long as you have some parameters and guidelines, I think that can be a, a useful way um, 
to help kids learn. I mean, we this is the greatest time ever to be a learner. You have so much access to so many different tools. And for us, it was just a matter of creating some rules. I mean, something simple like a stoplight system. You know, you put little posters around the, the school building, and if it's on green, then you're good to go to use technology. If it's on 11 or on uh, yellow, you proceed with caution. So you need teacher permission. And, of course, red means you can't use it at all. And my district was one of the first to roll out a BY, BYOD program at our junior high building that I think is still going today. But, I, you know, I, I wonder with all these different generations in our schools, are we having those conversations about how we can all coexist? Not really, you know, and I'm having the same conversations with uh, one Fortune 500 company right now. They're looking at the same thing. You know, I was talking with an executive from a huge entertainment um, company here in Florida, Hint Hint, and he was talking to me about trying to understand the younger workers and younger workers trying to understand the older workers. And it's just a matter of your perspective. I'll, I'll give you an example. I mentioned earlier that boomers tend to be much more loyal and older Gen Xers to the company, to the brand. They're gonna put their head down and do the work and get it done. Millennials and Gen Zers can be very loyal, but they tend to put more of a limit on their time. In other words, yes, they will work late if they see a need for doing it, if they have a passion for what they're doing, but just to blindly work late until it is done will not be done as much by the young workers. So the older workers might say, well, you're not as loyal. And the young workers say, I'm very loyal. I just don't want to do it like that. That means it's stupid hours when we could do it more efficiently doing, doing it some other way. So it's a matter of understanding. People need to start having these conversations. And if I go back to something you said about a conversation about technology, sometimes when people say there's too much technology, we need to cut back, don't use as much. Sometimes we're lumping it all together. As an example, I don't see nearly as much danger in a kid using technology or a lot of technology in school versus using social media. They don't get as stressed out over using technology in school. And I know that, yes, you're interacting with the screens. I know it, it helps to rewire the brain. I get that, that is the world. Um, but when parents say, I don't want my kid on any technology, I think if we could cut back on the social media, which is really hard to do, it would make the using technology in school much more palatable. And again, you know, not using technology, I don't see how that, that's much of an option because when they go to college, they're going to use it. You know, they're going to be taking their notes on a computer. When they go into the workplace, of course, they're going to have to be able to use it. So, I mean, we have to find a way to coexist with technology in our schools. And that includes cell phones, I think. Yeah. And I think that's well said. And as we kind of shift gears and start talking about maybe some strategies to make this, um, you know, a successful environment with all these different groups of folks. Do you think that, you know, we, we have to move away from this one size fits all type of curriculum and this ideology that every fifth grade student's going to read the same book. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, we, you know, we have, we, we're talking about choice. We're talking about passion projects. You know, there are a lot of ways to get to the end goal besides having everyone read the same book. You know, there are podcasts, there are videos, there are a lot of different things out there that kids have uh, um, access to. Is choice a, a viable alternative to some of these issues? It has to be. It has to be. You know, I, I thank you for bringing that up. We are not thinking big enough, broad, broadly enough, and redesigning our schools. I, I, I write a lot about the learning characteristics and the passion of Gen Z and Gen Alpha. 
we ought to be building our schools around that. Yes, we need standards, but we build our schools still around the workday, around the nine months, around the test schedule. We have them step back and say, what are we doing here? Let's start with these kids. Let's see what they want to learn about, how they're going to learn, the technology they need, and start working from there. It can be done. I mean, we have a great workforce. I, I firmly believe in the power of the, of the American teacher and American leadership, American administrators. But we have to step back and look and see how we should be doing that. And, and you're certainly, I would classify you as one of the leaders in the school space conversation. And we, we made reference to that book that you co-authored with Dwight Carter, uh, What's in Your Space, Five Steps for Better School and Classroom Design. You've, you've already done that in your school district in Ohio. Maybe talk a little bit about Clark Hall and why we have to think completely differently about what school space looks like today. Yeah, so Dwight and I were working uh, together in Gehanna Jefferson Public Schools in Ohio and outside of Columbus, and we had the chance to build a new part of the high school building, an addition. And so we said, look, let's look at these generations and go outside the box here. Um, we, 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 you know, we started polling them, talking to them, involving them in the design of it, you know, from the arch working with the architect to picking out the furniture. You know, we went, we put in bright furniture, lots of sunlight, you know, very flexible furniture. We built it for really the upper levels of rigor. We wanted kids analyzing, evaluating, grading, and a fun Starbucks-like space. And we wanted them to have chairs they could pull together to collaborate, pull apart, to work independently. They could differentiate. And at that time, you know, we were just getting technology in. We partnered big time with Dell and Cisco. They helped make it happen. So it all came together in this incredible, fun, beautiful building. As a superintendent, I co-taught co high school English in it. It was, I wanted to teach in the building. And so I co-taught in it. I saw the power of the building, the chairs, the lighting. If you give kids choices, it makes a huge difference. You know, I think that it's going to have to be a redesign of schools. You cannot redesign the space unless you redesign your instruction and how you treat kids. Because I've seen too many times where, you know, every new school, every new school in America now being built has at least one section or two of this flexible space in it. And lots of times people don't know what to do with it because they just go out there and they give every kid the same assignment, tell everybody be quiet and do your work. And they're just sitting in a more comfortable chair. That's really not taking advantage of it. It's, it's meant for choices and collaboration. And back to choices, you know, we're going to have to change. We will change in this decade. Look at what's happening. Today's parents and kids are demanding more choices, not just in how schools are run, but how schools are set up, how they're managed, uh, the types of courses they take, what's in the curriculum. We have more parents than ever rejecting the state testing. And by the way, we're going to have by 2030, most of our parents will be millennial and Gen Z parents. They're going to want more choices. They're going to want more technology, a balance of technology. They also want the interaction. We're going to have this retirement of a lot of the administrators and teachers who maybe didn't could not accept it. Uh, we're going to have increasingly strong technology. AI, artificial intelligence, is coming. It's going to even uh, Pearson came out several years ago with a paper said it will fundamentally change teaching and learning. So all these forces are coming together. Choice is going to be huge. If we don't provide the choice, there is some new model coming down the street that we don't see. If we look back to say 2010, 2011, we had the beginning of social media. We could not see how social media and iPads could change the world, could change education. 
something is coming at us, I would guess, just over the horizon that we don't see that's going to change how we do teaching and learning, some sort of AI, something radical. And if we cannot quickly adapt to it, we're going to be replaced by some other model. And maybe we should if we can't. It might still be a public school model. I don't know. I have some concerns about that as a former superintendent. Uh, can't do we have boards, school boards who are politically strong enough and have the vision to be brave enough to step into these new models because it's scary for them. I get that. Uh, I, I talk about the most innovative companies in the world who've led the way are not led by elected boards. They're led by people like Steve Jobs. Can you imagine Steve Jobs working with the school board, having to take every one of his big decisions through one of these people who mean well, and they want to represent their, their constituency. I get that. Thank you for serving, but they're not educators, not versed in all this. So we have to really get them up to speed to help them do this. So I'm just saying there are a lot of challenges in front of us. The strength, though, is the passion of the American educator. I worked in China for a while in a school and uh, after I retired as a superintendent. And I go around the world recruiting teachers to move to Beijing. And I saw how good the Americans were in comparison to many people in the world, how we're trained, how we work hard, how we, we are very student-centered. So we have the capacity to do it. The challenge is, can we have the vision? Can we have the leadership? Can we have the political power to go out and make these changes? Wow, what a great conversation. You've given me so much to think about. I'm taking notes like crazy. I, you know, again, I can't thank you enough for being here. I think the the last thing I want to kind of run by you is, um, you know, by design in my profession now in higher education, working with aspiring leaders, we talk a lot about leadership styles. Obviously, we talk about servant leadership. We talk about transformational leadership and mm -hmm. on and on and on. Now that I'm going to start talking about five gen leadership, what are the principles of this new genre and what advice do you have for people that might want to engage in that type of leadership? First of all, look around your staff and try to guess who's in which generation. You can't go running up and say, hey, how, how old are you, right? Uh, but you might know uh, how many years they've been working. Uh, and just think about, do I have a more senior staff? What does that mean? Are they boomers, probably Gen Xers, older millennials, or have you had a turnover? Do you have a lot more younger people coming in? You might even consider, if you're seeing some of these issues pop up, have them even take a little bit of time and research the generations. Not that you have to do all the research as a leader, but hey, take some time in a staff meeting or a PD, say this group, you Google Gen Z, you Google millennials, you Google Gen X, you Google boomers, jigsaw it to get together. What are you saying? Do we see any of that here? How, do we, how does this affect how we teach these Gen Z and Gen Alpha kids? And then I would be looking at training, you know, uh, differentiate whenever possible. If we're doing ongoing PD in our schools, we can no longer take our Gen Z and millennial teachers who are really good at technology and put them with groups of people who can't use technology. They get too frustrated. We have to differentiate. We have to give people choices. We have to do our PD finally the way we want things taught. People want choices. Everybody wants choices now. Even the boomers want some choices and the, and the um, uh, Gen, Z, uh, Gen Xers, you know, uh, we're in a choice society. So we have to look at, okay, who's in the staff? How can we train them? And then what can we learn about Gen Z and Gen Alpha and adjust our teaching strategies? And that's in some of the books to better teach these kids today. Well, again, I can't thank you enough for being here. And I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
So that's a wrap on this episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and leave a comment wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As friends of the podcast, I hope you can give me a follow on Twitter at Dr. Greg Goins, where you can learn more about my work as a partnership ambassador with the Modern Classrooms Project, and also about my work with Brave Ed, where innovative school districts across the country are leading change through a benefits-based accountability system that allows school communities to redefine student success. So until next time, folks, thanks for listening and keep fighting for change in your schools.